You're listening to Well Made, a podcast from Lumi about the future of e-commerce. I'm your host, Stefan Ango. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. We have a special guest host this week, Jesse. Hi there, guys. Jesse and I are sharing a microphone. Uh, Daniel has his own microphone. Daniel, you're the founder of FabFitFun. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm actually one of the, the co-founders. I also have two others. One is uh, my brother, uh, Michael, and the other is Katie uh, Kitchens. So three of us. So the three of you, correct me if I'm wrong, okay? I'm trying to piece the, the story together. You were at Charlie. You, you built an, uh, yeah. a media company before this. So it, it was more of a digital agency, and the agency was doing a bunch of various projects at the time. Uh, and one of the projects that we were working on was FabFitFun, which uh, was a sort of hybrid agency project slash like business that we were working on as a partner. And then at some point, we decided that we were going to make that the main thing that we spent time on. So we took it from a blog to a newsletter. And then a few years into that project, thought to ourselves, well, you know, newsletter is a good business. There's something interesting there, but it's not really... Uh, you know, take us to the promised land. And we were looking at the writing on the wall. We looked at companies like Thrillist, David Candy. You know, Thrillist had evolved into e-commerce, although now it's sort of gone back to its media roots and spun out Jack Threads. But you know, the thesis at the time was like e-commerce and media together better. And like we thought like, okay, we can't really build this great newsletter business. So let's do something with our brand, our community, the people who love what we do uh, that felt very, very natural to our customers. And one of those things was, you know, we, we had a celebrity tie-in at the time. Her name was uh, Juliana Rancic, and she helped, you know, get the, the brand off the ground and was super involved. And we thought, well, we sort of have this sort of like runway slash VIP roots, uh, sort of like when you go to like a media event and you get like a swag bag. And we're like, let's take that sort of swag bag, sort of like red carpet feel and bring it to everyone. So we launched our membership service in spring of 2013 with the core product being a box of full-size products that you get four times a year with over $200 in value. Now that the actual, every time you get a box itself, it typically has, you know, 300 plus dollars in value and every single one of it, you're paying 50 bucks. But also as part of your membership, you're getting access to a slew of other things like our member-only sales, our proprietary content. So we have a platform called FabFitFun TV where you get access to... I have questions about all these things. You're, you're going way too fast. <laughs> I'll, I'll slow down then. I'll slow down. Uh, I, we got we to gotta, we gotta back it up here. So today people think of FabFitFun and there's obviously a big beauty component, but then it's also lifestyle products. You've got, um, you know, as part of the subscription, which most people get Four times a year, is that correct? Like your, your typical subscriber is getting it on a quarterly basis now? Yeah. So uh, when you sign up, uh, you're signing up for a quarterly yeah. uh, box. We have other boxes that sit between seasons that members can purchase into. Right. But that's not necessarily part of what you're guaranteed as part of the membership. And so when you started the newsletter, I know that today you kind of think of FabFitFun as, as a lifestyle company, but was that where you started with the newsletter as well? Or how did you think about it in the, in the very beginning? We always thought of it as like a stepping stone towards, you know, when you're starting a company, right, depending on where you are in your life cycle as an entrepreneur, you have various levels of access to capital. And we thought, well, you know, uh, as newer entrepreneurs, we have to do something where like raising money might be more difficult and we already had sort of some money that was coming in. So like we could, and we understood the newsletter business because we had done it as an agency before. So we thought to ourselves, well, why not 
we know this business is good. It can get us somewhere, but then we can use it as a platform to build something bigger. So there was always this idea behind the initial FabFitFun blog and brand and newsletter to go into e-commerce. The question was like, what was the sort of capital efficient, smart way to do it? And we thought, we have this expertise in content. We know the newsletter business. So why not start there and then keep building? So if I'm if I'm parsing properly, do you think it's fair to say that you were thinking about how your company made money from the time you launched it, which would make you potentially different than a lot of entrepreneurs? <laughs> I oh I think I think we yeah we we thought like oh we could build an ad business on top of the newsletter and that would be the way we'd make money from day one. You know yes I think that's true. By the way, I'm not advocating like our approach. I think there's many reasons why companies should not potentially monetize. Uh, you know, some you know th those companies are probably fewer and far between. Why that should be the case, but you you do what you you can with what you have at the time. You know, in retrospect, you know you might you know depending on where you are, I think in your your professional development and your understanding and access to resources, like you may do it very very differently. When you think about the audience of FabFitFun, who do you think of? You know, I th I think of so many different people. I obviously think of our, our co-founder Katie because she's really sort of like in the sweet spot. And Katie, Katie, her role is editor-in-chief, That's right. is that right? She's editor-in-chief, but she's really the editor of the box mm -hmm. now. Uh, so she deals with a lot of our merchandising and picking the products that go in it. Uh, and, uh, you know, really foundational in terms of thinking about how the membership evolves and things like that as well. And a cultural cheerleader, too. She's been amazing at uh, making sure that uh, Mike and I uh, are, are thinking about the people. And, like, I think that she played a very, very instrumental role in creating this um, wonderful culture that we have. So back to the, the question was... How, what, who do you think of when you think of so your I, audience? I, the, the thing is this. So I think of Katie, but the truth is that our goal is to become a personalization platform. And when you look at our demographic breakdown, you'll see such a wide range of people and customers. Like we have 18-year-olds, we have 60-year-olds, we have 40-year-olds, we have 30-year-olds, we have every single one. We have mothers, we have daughters, we have... Uh, you know, single women. There's no sort of like one customer. And increasingly, you're now able to customize and personalize your box. So we're able to create a membership experience that for Stefan might be very different than the membership experience for Jesse. And, uh, you know, I think if we're thinking about like analogs, right? Mm -hmm. I always think about Netflix, right? Yeah. I, I bet you if we were around this table, we have all very, very different Netflix experiences. Mm -hmm. I know, for instance, I watch Stranger Things. I watch some documentaries. Um, you know, and, and maybe we don't, but other people do, mm -hmm. right? Like if it was a child, they might watch, uh, you know, one of the kids shows. But yeah, I'm actually curious, J yeah. Jesse, what, what shows do you watch on Netflix? I'm like a very dystopian human being behind the scenes. I watch like Black Mirror and like Westworld and like, you know, yeah. whatever like, you know, new dark thing is out on the internet. Um, <laughs> I feel like you also have like an interest in, in politics a lot. You, yeah. You're in, into that. Yeah, I like, I read, I read like weird, like I have like weird content habits. I like read old presidential biographies and then like watch Westworld. Look, yeah. it's an under, <laughs> there's, let's not dig into it too much. Um, well, I love, by the way, this is about I, you. I, I love, yeah. I love Westworld. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to interview you guys. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, before this, this is, like I asked him a lot of questions. He and... did. He got, we got grilled. So now <laughs> is your turn. Oh, but, no. Yeah. I, I have a question for you, which is like, um, I feel as though because of your background, I feel like the DNA of FabFitFun might be a bit different than a lot of like 
what people think of as like an e-commerce company DNA. Like, and I'm getting at the the media and like the way you guys approach even promoting yourselves or attracting attention. Like, I don't I don't know if you agree with that. You don't have to agree. Oh no, I th- I think the notion of us as a media company is yeah. a real thing. Yeah, and that does differentiate us because we think a lot about narratives yeah right and storytelling and that's a big part of what we do we're telling yeah. stories about the products that we are putting in the boxes and we want everything to have a, a feeling of like cohesion mm-hmm. so um narrative is is a big thing that drives us and like we think about you know uh, you know why would the customers want this like yeah. what does this mean for them yeah uh and that's a big part of uh the the background i think the other thing that's really part of our dna that's like sort of more um the notion of bootstrapping, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so yeah. because we were so yeah. uh, scrappy for so long, yeah. it created this culture where, you know, our w- when we brought in a, a head of finance for the, for the first time, uh, you know, she came in and she she did what was like basically uh, our first budgeting process. Yeah. And she came back and, and her name is Zaina and she's great. She came back to me and she said, I don't understand this. Like, there's not a single person in the company who I had to cut back their budget. Yeah, yeah, Right? Yeah. And yeah. so... Um, I was like, that's great. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, yeah. You're like, like, so, so like yeah. gold stars for me? No, not, not gold stars <laughs> because I was like, it's, it's sort of like it, it's good to a point. And yeah, then you yeah, like yeah. get to a point and you're like, okay, that's great. But like actually – Maybe we should be spending more. So, like, mm-hmm. I often now yeah. have the, it, like, you know, uh, we have, like, the reverse thing where it's, like, yeah. you know, and, and you, you can get carried away in one direction or the other. Like, okay, no, we should be spending more in these areas and let's do it because these are investments for the future. And, like, getting to that mentality when, when cash is such a scarce resource, like, it's good. You're bootstrapping. You're scrappy. You don't waste money. These things matter. And then when you have more cash, right, you want to think, like, how do I deploy this in the most high ROI manner? Right. And then it becomes a capital allocation decision about like, should we, you know, because it's it's not infinite. Right. It's a finite resource. Right. Like, okay, should we hire uh, 10 more engineers to work on this project or should they work on this project? Right. Like the question becomes, okay, obviously we need the 10 engineers. We have a lot of things right now uh, that we think, you know, uh, at least when I look at the business, I think there's so many opportunities for growth and investment, things like that. But, you know, you know, is it 10 for this or 10 for that? Or is it 20 to do both, right? And like what type of risk is that then for the company? How, how did you go about evolving the culture towards that? Because I think we, Jesse and I and, and our team has a similar problem. We bootstrapped for five years and then, you know, now we're in a place where we're maybe a little more free to make those kinds of decisions. Yeah. And you don't want to go too far in the other direction either. So how do you, how do you find the, the sweet spot with your team? Uh, I think it's always a work in progress. I think you got to stay pretty close to it. Uh, and like, you got to help with the strategic planning, uh, prioritization, uh, things like that. Like, you know, we're still building like so, sort of, you know, how do we set goals as a company, right? You know, because we've grown so fast, like some things that like, you know, a company that's much more mature, growing more slowly, they might have like an OKR system or like these types of things to help set goals. Like we've tried it, but then, you know, sort of our growth made it so that like it's sort of like, well, you know, the and and you learn and it changes pretty quickly. So I would say that's the stuff we're actually figuring out now. And we want to get to the point where it's like, you know, a lot of uh, autonomy and people are like setting goals in their departments and it's rolling up to like some nice, neat plan at the top. But it, it, it sounds a lot, uh, I think, prettier than it actually is. What I found right now is there's a lot of cross-functional things 
that really need to happen as you get to like a higher level of scale. So like figuring out how the teams work with each other and what sort of like the different dependencies are and like and and I'm sure someone who has more operating experience and you know I've now eight years, but like they like, oh this is this is easy, right? Like going through it, you're like, this is very complicated. Uh, but we're figuring it out. <laughs> Let's I want to give people a, a, a sense for how how the, the scaling has happened because yeah. you founded the the newsletter in, in 2010. Yeah. 2013, uh, you shipped out your first box to 2,000 uh, members. Yeah. And then the the most recent number I could find was 2015. You had 200,000 subscribers. I'm assuming it's more now. Anyway, uh, you know the, the funny thing is, is that is a big uh, jump in itself. Like you know, 2,000 yeah. to 200,000 in yeah. two years. That's that's insane. So how how did that come about? How did it come about? Um, well, I think if you rewind like three or four years, there was a, there was a ton of buzz around the subscription biz, business model, yeah. right? And it seems like you guys came into it sort of almost by accident. And, and now, maybe not. Uh, you, you, no, no, it wasn't by accident. We thought about it for a long time. And we actually positioned it very differently than yeah. a lot of the other memberships. So like things that you look at with our business that were different, like everyone was very f- focused in certain verticals, right? So like Ipsy or Birchbox, Beauty, uh, you know, there were food boxes, there's the dog box, you know, the bark boxes of the world, there's the fashion boxes like Stitch Fix, right? So he said, we want to be broad. That was very intentional, yeah. right? And a lot of people actually questioned that strategy. It's like, who are you going after? You know, that was one. The second is the full-size products. Oh. So uh, a lot of people were doing samples, especially if you looked at the beauty ones, they were doing sample boxes. So like if you're a birch box, uh, you were beauty samples. We thought to ourselves, why would we, you know, send people samples that send, send them the full-size thing and make the sort of box. And I think, the, the, in part, like a lot of people thought, like, you know, the, some of the food boxes, like, we'll send you snacks, you'll try the snacks, then you'll go buy the snacks, right? So it's sort of like, this is a, a means to an end, mm-hmm. right? Which was very, very different than our approach, which is we are an end in itself. Like, being a FabFitFun member is an end, mm-hmm. right? It's not like we want you to go and then transact on some other component. The quarterly cadence... Right, I think we wanted to make something. We wanted, you know, when you're shipping uh, every month, a lot of you guys are logistics people, right? Like, and I'm sure the audience listening is is you know very interested in uh, sort of the supply chain and logistics. And so, obviously, you know, very basic tenant, you're shipping all the time, right? It eats into uh, a lot of uh, your 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 costs, right? Like your your cogs become shipping if you ship quarterly, right? And you're shipping once, but you can add a lot more value in some of those other things if you go with, like a, I guess, a slightly higher price point is what we did. When we launch our boxes, it's, I don't know if people know this, but it's 50 bucks a quarter, mm-hmm. $180 a year. Every box has at least $200 in value, though you know, typically now we're ranging much more, and then you get access to all these other things. But um, You guys are you know, a lot more people now, but when you were first launching, um, the cadence of, like, of shipping quarterly probably gives your team like an actual planning horizon yeah. to like, make things really good that will be very different than a quarterly cadence. Or, a um, or, or I'm sorry, I meant to say very different than a monthly cadence. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I'd love to hear about that where it's like by having three months to actually get things going and like knowing maybe that gave your team like more breathing room to make the product really good. Well, I don't know. I, I think that's part of it. it you know, obviously, um, it is a operationally intensive business. Uh, and like we were learning a lot about like, you know, how do we get products? Like how do we, you know, we make a lot of products now. How do we make products? Uh, you know, selling it online, I think was actually one of the easier parts, right? Like, 
um, <laughs> in a way. Like you, we used a third-party platform and said, like, okay, like let's do subscriptions. Uh, although that, it, as you get to more complexity around personalization, the sort of um, how you do assignments around who gets what box, like that becomes a non-trivial uh, thing that's sort of uh, between tech and ops. And uh, but uh, nonetheless, learning how to source an amazing product. Uh, convince brands to be part of that was like a big part of like the initial like challenges. Why should people give you products, right? Um, you know, and that sales pitch, uh, you know, which, you know, we, we took a while to get us there and get, you know, as we've gotten bigger, people want to work with us more. But I think that's interesting. I think yeah. it's something people don't think a lot about. Um, if they're, if someone was just thinking to themselves, like, I think I'll launch an e-commerce company and like maybe it's a subscription. I think that they think, that their challenge is all about um, customer side, like let me, how do I find demand? But you're talking about supply side, like, like the fact that you're building a cool brand that people know and has customer demand actually creates a lot of leverage on the supply side of like, you know, getting better and better brands to do interesting things. And like, I just, there's, I just think that's a whole side that a lot of people might not even consider. And I'm curious about that journey of like, I don't know, have you seen it come full circle where there's brands you had a hard time working with and now it's oh, easier? Oh, it's, it's like, yeah. of course, it, it's like, it's, uh, it's night and day, right? Like, um, you know, before, you know, getting brands to work with us was more difficult, right? Now, you know, we are really curating from some amazing options and we feel bad uh, because there's so, so many people that we have to turn away that we love to work with. Uh, so what, you know, we're trying to find more ways to work with them. Well, but I what's do your think, what's your pitch to them, or, or like how did they? I mean, now that you're saying you don't even really have to pitch them, but like how do you? No, think I, about I'm not it? saying there's some brands yeah. that we still, you know, that you know, it's also that so, so the marketplace has been created not just by us, but there are other people and boxes in in the in the world. So then now that they, they understand that concept, it's not as novel, and so it's like which box do we work with? You know, there's many reasons why. Uh, you know, we think our platform is is ideal, and we've driven a lot in terms of giving uh, brands both you know increased ROI uh, through uh, revenue, but also like data and insights and feedback on their products that become actionable items for them. It's sort of the whole media play; like they get distribution uh, in the physical hands of the hands of actual customers. You know, we work with so many influencers who then promote the box, so they're ostensibly promoting that person's product. Uh, that leads to sort of growth on on the brand's own sort of uh, distribution channels where they see increased uh, direct sales. Uh, and the last piece is like, hey, we give them all this sort of feedback and surveying and customer data in terms of like how people viewed their product, how they viewed their brand, what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it, which they can then use to improve their overall uh, company. I think that's really fascinating. And I think something that that hits on that's fascinating to me about the entire, just about e-commerce in general, like if you... You know, it's hard for all of us to rewind like 10, 15, 20 years when these models didn't exist at all. But like the, the feedback loop of like um, of brands actually understanding what customers feel about what they're selling is like fundamentally shifting. Right. Like people used to produce things. It's like, you know, they used to ship to a retailer who then took another month or two to get out onto shelves and then it sat on a shelf and then they might get like surveys or something of like, yeah, customers walking around said a plus on this detergent or something. And so. What you're talking about is so, you know, so visceral in real time for the brands. Like, did you know from day one that the brands getting feedback like would be useful or did you or did that happen? Like, oh, later? I mean, I think we had a vision for it from day one. Yeah. Like we thought, OK, 
well, if we're sending out all these products, to all these customers, we want to find out what they think about them. It helps us also choose better products for the future. So it's not just helping the brands, but it's also helping us improve our membership. And so data science and consumer insights are a big piece of what we do and figuring out how we get the right products to the right person. One of the things that when you're doing a, a subscription box at the, at the scale that you are, I feel like there's always a draw towards the idea of becoming more of a retailer, like selling then those products uh, on an ongoing basis. Some other companies have gone down that route. When I look at the things that you guys have launched lately, it's the TV, uh, FabFitFun TV, it's the magazine. It seems like you're making a conscious choice not to go in that direction, or like, how do you think we, about we, that? We do sell some of them. Like we have oh, uh, the add-ons uh, so program, like, maybe. We have the add-ons, and we have a, you know a few member-only sales mm-hmm. that are also part of our platform. And we have a shop actually where. Uh, oh, okay. I didn't but the, actually. Didn't yeah, but I, I would say like it's not where we've invested the most time and energy. We're just always trying to make the membership better. Yeah. Right. And like, think there's some things we can do really uniquely by doing more content, especially like the integrations between the content and the products in the box itself. So you might get a product in the box, like a, a fitness ball that ties back to online video content that shows you how to use it and work out with it that I think makes us unique. But we obviously, if there are products that, you know, uh, people love and we can make it accessible for them, um, you know, that's something we'll look at and we'll probably over time do a little bit more. But like, you know, right. it's not necessarily something that we can do uniquely. Yeah. Right. I think that I mean, makes I think, our platform so much better. I think your ana- analogy yeah. to Netflix is really good. I also think like Amazon Prime is also an interesting example yeah. because it's like you're you're building these things like the the TV the the I don't know what you call it exactly but like the the shows that you are producing now through the FabFitFun TV platform yeah. is is free for your members so it's like a, a benefit right yes that, it's a membership you, benefit and, and exactly. that that's a really fascinating way to think about it because it's like how can we continue to improve that always and like make it more valuable yeah well it, it lets you really be creative, right? Like what are the things that are going to make our customers happiest, add the most value to their lives and like we can go after it. Well, another example of that is just like again with the Netflix uh, uh, idea, you made you made it easy for people to unsubscribe. Like that was I feel like that was something that Netflix did as well and has yeah. been successful for for them, I've unsubscribed from Netflix and resubscribed. I think a couple. Times. Oh come on, who unsubscribes from Netflix? I do. That's I so mean, I, like, I I'm not a huge. Oh. I'm currently a subscriber, but I have unsubscribed a couple times before. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's an interesting thing because I'm finding like, I don't know, maybe there's a, a content overload that's happening mm. on Netflix because I'm not. Sometimes I turn it on like, what should I watch? Right. Yeah. And like I kind of want to know what the hit is. Like that's why like Stranger Things for me was exciting. I'm uh, watching all the, the comedy specials. The comedy the, specials are, are pretty good. Yeah, Dave Chappelle yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. At some level, though, you get such an amount of great value. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, that you're like I. You know, hopefully they think people will never unsubscribe. But um, there's also other like look at the end like you look at Hulu now and they have some great shows and um, some of these other players and Amazon. I started watching Amazon Prime. I saw first episode of Men in the High Castle. So, but like, you know, these are things that uh, you may end up having all three, right? Uh, and it's still cheaper than cable, which is so crazy if you think about <laughs> where the world is today and the amount of content you consume for what price uh, versus like what you'd pay for your direct TV bill or your... Uh, yeah, I think that that is really fascinating. Like, I think that um, something else that I think a lot about as a business owner that I feel like I think about in relation to you guys is people think about competition and they think about what they think about head to head stuff. Like they think like, Oh, customers going to go buy cosmetics. Like where else might they buy cosmetics or something like that. But, but I think that what you're hitting on the head here with talking about the content is like, if someone is like, has 
some amount of disposable income to spend towards something and it makes them really happy. Like that someone might be weighing their FAFA fun box against like the movies or something. It's like you you might not be going head to head. And that's where the brilliance of like, you know, the TV and stuff is you're trying to add value to people's lives. Like the box is, I mean, I think the box is important. Obviously we, we're box people here, but, but I'm just saying like you, I think it sounds like you're thinking about competition in this broader scheme as like, if you provide value, then people are weighing their annual price as like this, like, I can't imagine unsubscribing because for X amount of dollars, I'm getting X amount of like joy and yeah, we utility. W- we want to be like indispensable. Like we, we want it to be crazy to not be a FabFitFun customer, right? Like there's so much value that like, why wouldn't you do this, right? One of the things, I mean, speaking of boxes that we love about just the design of what you do is you're changing it on a regular basis. And so like the box itself the physical, the, the outside of the box is like a piece of content in a way. Like the media creation engine extends into like everything that you're doing. I, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, we really love the process of coming up with the new designs and we're working with various artists who help come up with those. Um, and like we like to tell a story from the box itself, like sort of reflects the season. So going back to the sort of general ecosystem of the subscription world, I think it's been a business model that way more people have felt comfortable hopping on as a, as a customer. Where do you think other businesses maybe have gone wrong with that, that business model? And why do you guys like still not only survive, but thrive in this, in this, in this business model? You know, what is, what has gone wrong? Like, I, I guess it'd have to be more tangible for me. Like, I think like some businesses hit a certain scale and like, that's sort of, you know, they start growing more slowly and it's not anything with the model itself. Like, I think if I would say like, oh, like things that I think are bad is like when you have customer unfriendly practices, like when you make it hard to unsubscribe. I don't think that's part of our ethos, right? That's where you can do a lot of damage to your brand if you do that, because ultimately, you know, then you get one news article talking about, you know, investigative piece on how like you're have bad business practices and then it drives the cost of your customer acquisition up and like you know we can think of you know, a couple of examples like that with, without discussing specific names but like i know companies where that's happened you know i think but those those companies like everyone learns and they have different philosophies and i think you know hopefully get to the right place we, we've been talking a lot about just sort of in passing the the magazine the shows that You've taken a different approach with the TV stuff. It's more about fitness. Um, it is, is started with fitness, oh, okay. but we're it's it's now more. It's, it's like expanding. Yeah, it's expanding. How do you think about that platform and how it's a it's another value? But I mean, I think I, I think uh, I think yeah. it, it, you sort of hit the nail on the head a little bit. Like Amazon Prime, we want to yeah. have an independent value in and of itself. We're creating content where people love it, but we also think part of the unique part of what we can do is how it ties back to some of the products and the experiences. One of the things I love about your website is that when you go on there, it's just one, it's just one page basically, yeah. and you just sign up or don't. <laughs> well, that's, I mean that's that's the the lander, but yes, yeah, so the you, kindest you, way possible. No, yeah. <laughs> I, right, that's the landing page when you arrive, but it's very to the point, and I think that that is very effective. I'm curious, like, have you started to see customers who come at it from they want to watch? The content, that's like the main thing that they are interested in. And like now the box is almost like a, a secondary benefit. We, we, we see people in our community talking about that all the time. They talk about the benefits of A, just like they would just sign up for just the content, right? And the community, like those two things. Because they connect with like-minded people. They have fun in the community. You know, also add-ons, frankly, and the other sales. So like, you know, different people have different reasons why. I think at the end of the day, like the box drives so much value that that's 
a big part of the reason they're there. But we're seeing as we're making more investments in these various parts of our business that people are saying that that's just as much of a reason as why they stick around. And a lot of it, I think, is really this sort of feeling a part of something that's more like a, like a community or a movement, you'd say. And I hate, hate the word yeah, almost to no, use the word movement. But like, yeah. you, it's like we, we have this thing that's like Christmas four times a year. And it's like sort of like, yeah, a, like a, a cultural event, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it's, it's just starting to get more and more. Yeah. And like I think we're starting to see us you know, fall into a little bit of like almost like the zeitgeist, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is something that happens. It's like a Fat Fun box is launching. And, and you know, at least that. that's where what we, we hope it becomes. Yeah. And we think it's getting there. And you know, we're just really proud of all the work the team's done to, to make it happen. I have a question that's completely different. Uh, <laughs> I'm also very proud of your team, but um, I have a very different question. I'm, I'm curious, like, Stefan and I have been entrepreneuring together for, like, nine years or something. We were talking yeah. about all this a little bit before. You are in business with, like, you've got some family involved. Like, why did you make this life choice of, like, entrepreneuring in general? Like, this is, um, this is a bizarre life choice for a human being to make. Tell us more. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't even think of it as like a choice, right? Like it was just like. <laughs> I guess that's, I, I feel the same way. Like yeah. I didn't, I never made this choice. Like I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> this was just like. How did so, this happen yeah. to me? <laughs> it's not even, how, like, I don't know. It was sort of like I was graduating law school. I was like, I, I knew always that like, I, and I don't even know how I made it through that law school. That is not the typical path of like yeah. graduating law school, about to get a well-paying job. Never mind. Well, I, was, I, I, I wasn't necessarily because I, I knew that I didn't want to do it. And so like I stopped like looking while I was in law school. I just sort of, I had a lot of Jewish guilt, right? And my mom was, was <laughs> very, very adamant. And my, my parents are, you know, big yeah. believers in education. They're like, you know, go get another degree. While I was in law school, I sort of dabbled in different things, like spent some time working in the hedge fund world, spent some time working in a startup incubator called uh, Slingshot Labs, which was owned by News Corp, and sort of like knew that I was always kind of like buying a little more time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and like, you know, had the good fortune of sort of graduating. And then, you know, I was actually studying for the bar and then I realized the good fortune of graduating, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I was yeah, like, yeah, thank yeah. God. <laughs> right. And, All right. Uh, We're getting some more color on this. Yeah. Studying, studying for the bar. And then I realized like, I don't know why I'm studying for this test right now. Uh, and so <laughs> it's like an epiphany. Yeah. Yeah. And so I said, you know, I'm just going to drop it for a while. Uh, and you know, uh, at I'm the sure time, that actually, your parents. well, yeah, at the time, actually, my brother was was running a digital agency yeah. uh, that, uh, you know, became Charlie. Okay. okay and okay. so he was going back to, it's a, it, he was the, more back history, right? But he was going back to get his law degree. Uh, he was going to do his JD MBA at Stanford. And he's like, hey, Dan, why don't you come see if you can help out here? So yeah. I started working on the agency with him, uh, his uh, business partner at the time, this guy, Adam Katz, who's still super involved and helpful with Fun. Another guy, Sam Teller, who's... Uh, you know, also very, you know, helpful and involved. Was there uh, like a trough of sorrow for your parents when they're like, we thought we were going to have two lawyers in the family. And now how did that all play out? Are they like now? You well, the, doing I so think well. it was like three or four years like of hell. Yeah, yeah. For that's, me, the trough, that's what I call yeah. the trough of sorrow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would call it the trough of sorrow. But okay. like when we launched <laughs> the boxes, like when we launched the boxes, it was sort of like, um, it was, was. It like, was like, cool. what? What yeah. is this box? Like, do you think this is a good idea? Like, and she has like a little bit of an accent. Like, yeah, yeah. My, my dad's like, do you think this is a good idea? Yeah. And then there was like, you know, there was like, and, and the, the thing is this: there was a few years where we were like running the agency. It wasn't really, you know, it it, it, it was fine, but like. <laughs> 
you know, it was. It wasn't really. There's a lot of head shaking. No, I wouldn't say yeah. it was just like it was. You know, we were trying to figure out what we really wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then that, the, you know, it could be like every single time I had dinner with my family, I was also living at home. Do you? Oh my uh, god. This is yeah. it's definitely a drop of sorrow. I love, yeah, how I, I love how you're like it wasn't a drop of sorrow, and then it's like I was living at home. Um. No, I don't. I, I was. I don't feel bad for myself. I sort no, of like no. you know. I am very fortunate. Like my parents have provided a lot for me, and I had That's the good. I, I look at look at it from this lens. Like my parents had the space for me to live uh, in their house and, uh, you know, not worry about like basics, basics. And and it's not even just from a financial perspective, which I think like, obviously that matters a lot, but like, just like you're working so hard initially when we're launching and I used to sleep in the office all the time and that was like we were living at home (laughs) well (laughs) that's very funny yeah that was yeah so um (laughs) yes I used to sleep in the office all the time and like uh maybe it was I didn't want to see my parents and I used to joke with friends like who do you live with I'd be like you know this is a really cool older couple uh, <laughs> if you know, I ever had like a date or something, and like, <laughs> like they're really great. Like they, you know, they're the best. Because I was like, I don't want to say, you know, I'm like 30 living with my parents. It was embarrassing, you know. I, and I think I moved by the time I was 30. I want to hear know, more. But about I had been in and out of home before that. I want to hear more about your parents. Oh, what do you want to? What do you want to know? Well, they're just like they're they're, they're they, really. Do you, do you have other siblings, or is it the two of you? No, it's me and my brother. So all of their children got wrapped up in this. In Fat Fit Fun. But yeah, like hearing yeah. more about um, like they gave birth to you guys. How yeah. did this happen? What, what, <laughs> how did the, how, how did they? What, is there a background entrepreneurial? Like uh, my dad is a doctor uh, who became very entrepreneurial later in his life. Uh, though he's still, I think, a doctor at heart. Like he's done very well as a business person, but there's a difference. Like you can almost tell. Uh, my mom actually comes from a family of entrepreneurs. Like you know, it's like actually crazy. Like go on the news the other day, and I see like, oh, that's like my mom's cousin, and it's like, oh, he's one of the like co-founders of Ethereum. And I was like, what? where the, f-? yeah, <laughs> uh, like I, you know, and like I was like, mom, like what the hell's going on here? So I just this week, you know, the, him and another cousin they Facetime me, and I was like. You know, I haven't talked to him in a while. It's like I was supposed to call uh, Stephen about you it. You didn't get some early Ethereum. I was like, I, I said, to, <laughs> as soon as I found out when I when he was like on the news, it's like co-founder of Ethereum, and I saw him and I know him, and I'm like, I sent a Facebook message, be like, you know, you could have called. Like, I'm pretty uh, sure. Are you sure you're like you could have just? Are made, you sure your mom is not sitting on like millions no, of dollars? No, she's not. Of, uh, she's not. Ether? But it's literally, I think it's literally her first cousin, right? And I was like, you could have called, like could have said something <laughs> both both of your parents are uh iranian yeah and are they immigrants or did they grow uh, up here or how did that go so uh they're both immigrants they both studied in the u.s though so my uh my mom came here to study university at long island university uh, when she was 18 and then uh, while she was here the revolution happened so she just continued wow. uh and then moved to, to la with my dad uh, at some point around the revolution time. Uh, and my dad uh, is a doctor, so which I mentioned earlier. Uh, he did his residency in New York at uh, Albert Einstein. How, did, how, how is it working with your brother? It's great. It's great. I mean, I think like <laughs> any, you know, any partnership, yeah. you know, you have moments where you're like, oh, my God. Right. And like you have a lot of habits that you develop as siblings that aren't necessarily productive for business partners right but you also have a lot of you know you're married to someone right like it's good that you have like 
a lot of shared values, right? Because at the end of the day, like you might have a dispute over like, oh, like how are we going to do this or what are we going to do? But the, the similarities in terms of values is actually much harder to replicate. So I think that's what makes it so strong. So I find that our partnership just gets better year over year. Is Katie the tiebreaker or does she have to, how does that no, work? I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, it just it depends on the day. Like, we, <laughs> you know, we, we turn to different people uh, for advice on how we do things. And, you know, this, it, this notion of a tiebreaker is like, we, we work it out. You know, we, we, we talk to people and we try to get to a good understanding in a place. And I think sometimes what you got to do is you just force, your, I'm sure you guys have had things where you disagree, yeah. right? Like you force yourselves. No, we to, agree on everything. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you probably force yourself no. to, to talk about it yeah. till, you point, till you get to a point where you do agree. The shared right? values thing is huge. Like it's just understanding that, understanding that even if you're disagreeing about a subject, you're not is it disagreeing fundamentally about like yeah. where the like the direction of the company or yeah. like how life should be operated? It's like you, you have that foundation, which for us came from many years. Uh, like we're not siblings, but we just you know have been working together for nine years, and it's it's something that we realized we take took for granted when we got a little bit closer um, to the startup world, to be honest. And we saw people like co-founders like having disputes or like like we we really agree on like the fundamentals, which is healthy and it's been great. <laughs> Yeah, I think that makes a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. I know that you uh, you you have to head out soon, so I want to wrap up with a couple last questions. One of them that we we didn't get a chance to cover was the um, the experiments you're doing in the physical world. You were doing a pop up shop. You've done a couple of them at this point. What are you working on there? Uh, you know, we want to just test out some concepts. Like I wouldn't say there's like any sort of like uh, you know. Well, I wouldn't say just test. Like first, it's an it's an amazing sort of extension of our brand, uh, and it's a way to engage our members to do pop up shops and have them come by and kind of engage with you know, people at the company. See, you know, you you know, we've done build a box stations, but it's also a way to sort of expose people to our membership as well who haven't seen it before. So, you know, we've done a few. We did one in our office last year, which was more of like come build a box, and that was like extremely successful. And we recently did something at the Grand Central Market in LA, yeah. which was also awesome. We want to be as innovative as we can as a company and innovating in the retail sector is what we do. Part of retail is actually retail, right? right. Like um and so like to the extent that like we can figure out a, a model that works in sort of the physical world we'd love to continue to learn more and like these have been interesting tests for us we've got a lot of good feedback and data and like we'll keep building on it how has los angeles as a as a place to be like factored into the the company i think it makes a a great uh deal of difference because of the ability to work with talent great brands great entrepreneurs great people who you know to hire from you know i'm from here born and raised. I love LA. Building a company here is like, you know, probably like, you know, if you ask me what I'm going to do in 20, 30 years ago, I was like, yeah, I'm going to start a company. I probably said, I'm going to start a company here, build my own company or do business in LA in some capacity. You know, it's like a you know, dream come true in a, in a way. Like I'm building a company in the city I grew up in, surrounded by like my closest family and friends. And, you know, I think there's some local like strategic advantages. It, it's also crazy. I don't, you guys are a little bit newer to the startup scene than I am, I think. Is yeah. that a fair? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, you know, when I started working in the startup scene, it was it was a very, very, very small community. It's much, much bigger now. Yeah. Um, there's so much going on. It's like almost crazy. Like, you knew every company that was starting like five or six years ago, every founder, every this, you know, and like, I think the, there will always be cycles, right? But the baseline has shifted. I think Los Angeles doesn't think of itself as you know, a startup place. It almost doesn't need to, but it, it, 
things are just happening here. And yeah. I think that that I like the balance of that because San Francisco definitely thinks of itself as a place where startups should happen. And, and New York has been that for a long time. But Los Angeles is well, an entertainment capital and a manufacturing secret capital is what we've discovered. I, I think what's nice about L.A. actually is that we're not a one note town. Right, like everyone's like entertainment. The truth is, it's not true. It's no. entertainment. It's technology. It's the uh, biggest port in the in in America. Yeah. I love the port. <laughs> Jesse just did yeah. a video at yeah. the port, so we're we're very. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we've got a lot of port facts going on right now. The port is actually oddly impressive, guys. The the, the port processes a billion dollars worth of merchandise every single day. Yeah. Right. There's like so much economic activity happening here is the point, right? Like not just the port, but it's like there's so many industries, there's so much happening here. Like the startups here get to participate in these ecosystems that are thriving. All right. High five, guys. We love L.A. L.A. is great. Um, we're going to let you go, Daniel. I know that you, uh, you've got a lot to do. You're a busy guy. If people want to find out more about you or FabFitFun, what should they do? Email me at Daniel at FabFitFun. I read all my emails. If, you, if, you, if you're looking for a job. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Email me. I read all my emails. Uh, you what know, should people email you about? What well, do you? What do you what, what, I mean, ideally, you know how uh, how much I love the company and why they are a perfect fit for this role, and uh, <laughs> which is funny because I have a funny story about that. So I was at uh, the code conference. I will leave you with this story. Jeff Bezos was there speaking, mm. and he said exactly the same thing. He says, "Email me. I read all my emails." Did you send him an email? So, yeah, I read all my emails. It's jeff at amazon.com. So the next morning, I was uh, driving to the conference. I'm like, I email jeff at amazon.com. Are you searching for it right now? Yeah, I'm searching for it. <laughs> I, said, I said, and you guys could read this because it's, it's just pretty funny. He goes, you know, and who knows if this was Siri, uh, not Siri, if this was uh, Alexa. Alexa responding. <laughs> I have my, my AI confused. You know, it says, subject line, great chat last night at Code. So, and then in the email subject, do you really read all of your emails? Question mark. And then <clears throat> you get a response. So I sent the email at. That seems like a really easy one for an AI to answer. Yeah, it seems like. <laughs> it seems like so, it, you know, Jeff, if you're listening, let me know if it was AI or if it was you. I'm curious still. It says, uh, two, less than two hours later, I'm sure I missed some, period. Wow. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. All right. Well, if people want to subscribe, go to fabfitfun.com um, and. Uh, Check it out. Oh, wow. We're, we're getting, we're looking at the Jeff Bezos email. I, I can verify this. There's also a thread um, after that. There's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm not going to read. Ooh, this is really getting deep. Um, there's, there's multiple emails. They're, oh my they're God, best friends. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> I feel like I know it's real because the response comes from Jeffrey P. Be- Bezos. I don't know. He, he <laughs> might have four to six assistants responding to his email right now. But like, or he's automated it. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, if you got something useful out of it, I would love to hear what that was. Consider writing a short review. It could be just a sentence long by going to iTunes and searching for well-made. I want to hear it all. I want to hear good, bad. I want to hear your constructive criticisms. I am just trying to make this show as useful as possible for you. So tell us what you think. That is the very best way that you can support the show. Thanks, and see you next time.